This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. read a physical book in so long Ooh. that it was kind of uncomfortable because like, ha- like in your hands here are things about physical books i forgot when you're very early or very late in the book it's a very lopsided object to hold sure the the <laughs> yes. words can run like pretty close to the spine and so you feel like you're hurting the book when you're opening it up enough to read the whole thing yeah the book screams when you do that it's really bad. yeah uh-huh. Yeah. Anything else just, you hate I have, about I have physical extreme, books? I have extreme empathy for the book. Uh-huh. Oh, sure. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, and I just read a paper book, <laughs> AMA. <laughs> we did have a listener ask us if we do if we consider audiobooks reading. And I think we do. We just don't do it for the show. I consider them reading if if you can pay attention <laughs> sure. enough to listen to them because my like they always kind of they always become kind of background noise for me. Yeah, I have in a, hard a way time. that I mean podcasts do that occasionally, but they're usually like short enough and conversational enough that there is stuff to like keep hooking my attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with an audiobook, I I can just I get absorbed in the in the drone of it, the rhythm of it sometimes and I just can't I can't absorb it that way. I, I, I've tried a few times and I just can't. I would have to like sit down in a room and turn it on. Like the only At time that in- point I might as well be reading a book. <laughs> I know. I but like if that's the way that uh you need to read books or like to read books, good for you. Andrew, you don't like physical paper books, it sounds it's like it's not even that I don't like it, it's just that for for the show, if sure. I'm reading a book then where I have to do like a hour long recording about it later, you have for to money it's true. for strangers. Yep. I like the ability to be able to highlight stuff. In a way that makes it like searchable and easy to find later. Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, I just I felt that I felt that lack. It is this interesting. Week when I was reading this. So book. we're going to be talking about uh, "Speaker for the Dead" by Orson Scott Card, which Andrew read in paperback form this week. Um, it is it for me. It's one of those books that I do have like physical memories of the book. I did read it. I read an actual copy of it. There are scores of books for the show that in my brain are just the Kindle app. <laughs> Like they are just whatever the digital text was. I don't yeah, have like, sense memory for the book. Which I, would I feel not is a shame a little bit. Have done like the Fifty Shades books if I couldn't hide behind. <laughs> I think a lot, some that might have been a lot of people. On a little yeah. Tablet, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's certainly like Infinite Jest is one. Like I wanted. I I like having that doorstop. I, that was a thing that I literally flicked back and forth through yeah like the the paperback is a good doorstop and the hardback is a good like potential murder weapon (laughs) for sure (laughs) i think if you did if you did a millennial version of clue it would definitely be (laughs) like albert in the converted factory apartment with the hardback version of infinite chest 
who millennial they've done like millennial monopoly why not millennial clue okay anyway we anyway. talk about books on this podcast somebody reads it and tells the other person about it um Andrew, you have never read Speaker for the Dead, correct? I've never read Speaker for the Dead. I had read Ender's Game. I actually think when I I read Ender's Game the first time in college with your dog-eared yes, copy of yes. it that you talked about. I I listen I re-listened to our Ender's Game episode, which is I don't remember what the number is, but it's like I think at the 200 somewhere we read it a couple years ago. Yep, November 2017, um, I think. Yes. So, yeah, I had, I read Ender's Game that one time and sure. not since. And I really enjoyed it. And then we talked about it on the show, but you had read it. And so I was worried going in because this, this is the direct sequel. Yes. Um, I was worried that I, I would be at a disadvantage because I had not experienced that book recently. But it really, as long as you know, like the broad contours of that story, it's fine. Like you're going to be fine. Maybe we can recap it real fast. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about the story, is there anything about Card that we want to talk about? Yeah, we should specifically. Do, we should do a high level on Orson Scott Card for anybody who hasn't listened to our Ender's Game episode before. I do think there's going to be some of our own personal reactions to this book that allude to what we've already talked about in that episode. So go dig it up um, and give it a listen. I think it's a good one. Um, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, Orson Enjoyed Scott it. Card is a prolific science fiction writer. He was born in 1951. He spent most of his time growing up on the West Coast, born in Washington, spent time in California and a couple other Southwest states. He's won a bunch of Hugo Awards, a bunch yep. of Nebula Awards. He is a the, he is like a great, great grandson of Brigham Young, and he has been a practicing member of the Latter-day Church of Latter-day Saints all his life. Um, it's informed a lot of his writing. Some of his books are explicitly religious. Some of them just deal with religion. Um, he also apparently got, before he started writing direct fiction, he was writing a lot of like plays and adaptations, which informs a weird scene in a bad Ender book where they like stage a Shakespeare play in space. Uh, yeah, you know, that just happens, I guess. I read I read the um, the synopsis of... Xenocide, which is the third book in the Ender series, like the one after this. Yes. And some of it is like, okay, this is continuing the story from this book. And some of it is like he's he developed like <laughs> there were clones <laughs> of his his brother and sister now yeah, from that's... his like built from his subconscious and it's all this weird Yeah. Like it goes pretty far off the rails. Sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um he uh, so about the Mormonism thing. Um, there's a quote of his from Wired in a twenty. So he did a bunch of interviews in 2013 when the Ender's Game movie got made, um, and there was a huge uh, outpouring of opposition to that film because of uh, essays that Card had written previously. And because um, people just don't like Harrison Ford anymore. Well, They're that's over him. that's really what it was. But they were also upset. Um, at essays and and other publications where Card had uh, attacked uh, homosexuality and argued against gay marriage and all sorts of pretty bad stuff. Yeah, he went away, and 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 we um, when we usually when we read a book, we put a link up on our our site so people can buy it and read along, and then we get a little bit of a cut of that. It's not, I don't think, it's earning us or the authors a ton of money, but. With Card, we haven't put that stuff up because he did a lot of very, I don't know, he he was very into the whole, like, Defense of Marriage Act. Yep. 
thing. Explicitly he's... taking the money he has earned from his work and putting it a, into bigotry. <laughs> right. Uh, and and, yeah. and doing all like making all the arguments that, that you would hear from supporters of that where like if 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 gay people were allowed to marry, it would undermine his own marriage and it would just be the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so that's the, uh, yes, it's, it's bad Here in 2019. It feels like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say that there's worse stuff, but it does feel quaint. Now. It, it, in, a way, it does. in a way it does yeah um which is which is in its t- kind of harrowing in itself well because now we got to argue like oh hey n- like nazis are bad still. yes and that's we thought that was done um <laughs> yeah. so like oh uh, card back tried to back away from some of those statements by saying that it was like he, he was in conversation with mormonism and that's really what he was talking about which is not i don't think is true but he does uh draw on that as part of his own identity um there's a quote from wired where they ask him much of your work is edgy for mormons yet the fact that you're a mormon is edgy for a lot of other people what's it like being in the middle and he says in a way being a mormon prepares you to deal with science fiction and i've seen this a lot there's a lot of um science fiction writers who are mormon um prepares you to deal with science fiction because we live simultaneously in two very different cultures the result is that we all know what it's like to be strangers in a strange land we don't regard being an alien as an alien experience but it also means that we're not surprised when people don't understand what we're saying or what we think um and that i think at his worst and there's a lot of his worst he has used that as kind of a defense for his views Mm -hmm. um but the idea of being different and being caught in difference is, is such a like cornerstone of the best of his books uh, and the best of his work in the Ender series. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because the book is about an extreme form of of empathy where you don't even like if you are considering options other than empathy, then you are failing in some way. And so it so it is interesting to run up against the limits of of Card's own empathy yep. for other people, and I don't know what what he views as like somebody who's worth empathizing with, and somebody who is who should be designated as an other and and crusaded against. I don't know. It, it's it's tough. Yes, I am now imagining. You know how you get books that have a, a like a badge on them that's like well, number one New York Times bestseller. Uh huh. There should be that, but it just says edgy for Mormons on it. <laughs> Okay, sure. Just tell me whether uh, this book is edgy for Mormons. <laughs> I don't know what that would be. If we have Mormon listeners who can tell us what an edgy, what the number one edgy for Mormons book is, please write <laughs> in and tell us what it is. <laughs> yeah, so as you said, Andrew, this book, uh, like Ender's Game, won the Nebula and the Hugo. I think he came to write Speaker for the Dead because he... He, he like fleshed out Ender's Game so that he could write Speaker for the Dead. Yeah, like in the intro to to this book, he I think it, it's one of those things where Speaker is kind of the book that he wanted to write, and Ender is the book that he ended up writing to to give this the right amount of of like background and, and gravitas and and stuff. Yeah, like to, to to you kind of need that character of of Ender for parts of this to make sense. True. Um, and and that book ended up being like I think a little more digestible and a little more actiony. Mm-hmm. Where it this book did. is a little, yeah. <laughs> well, so let's do a quick recap of what 
the Ender's Game setup is so that people, you know, you open this book. There is a, I guess there's a presumed knowledge of Ender at the beginning of this book, right, Andrew? Like, do you think Card is writing this with the expectation that you have read Ender's Game? Does he think you, you can just pick it up? You know, he does give context uh, when you first, you don't run into Ender for, I don't know, like probably like 40, 50, 60 pages. Like it is a little bit before you actually get into Ender's head and it's important that this is a sequel at all. But he does give you enough context where if you had never read Ender's Game, I think you could get by. But okay. It is, I definitely would recommend reading Ender's Game before this just because the the depth of that context is hard to convey in a couple, a couple of paragraphs, you know. Well, let me try and do it in about 30 seconds. Um, Ender is a little boy who was plucked off of Earth uh, to, and trained to lead an army to fight against bugs in space. And buggers. Buggers. And um, he didn't know it at after he was done with battle school, but he had killed all the bugs uh, on their home planet because he loved them so much. Uh, he learned how to fight like them. And all of his friends loved him too because he was such a good leader because of love. Um, <laughs> well, you're... Okay, so the the... <laughs> He has run through this series of elaborate battle simulations, yes, sure. which are ostensibly getting him ready to defend Earth against uh, like a, a third wave bugger attack. Yes. Every, like there was a first wave and then a second wave and one seemed like exploring and then another one seemed like kind of a conquering. Yeah. 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 And, and now humanity is getting ready for this like third attack from these independence day style like unknowable aliens who nobody can communicate with yep and so ender has run through this series of increasingly elaborate simulations and by the end it is just relentless and it's it's this kind of computer game thing so it's abstracted a little bit kind of like a vr experience um, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it starts out with actual kids like actually strategizing and fighting each other in a big like room with no gravity in it but then it becomes a more simulated thing and then when ender clears this like last level of what seems like a video game it is revealed to him that he's been controlling actual ships remotely this whole time and he has just completely destroyed the entire bugger race like yeah. they are gone yes now he committed genocide on on a species he hadn't even met yet Mm -hmm. um, and then, like in a little magical epilogue, he is traveling to a the one of the first of the new colonies, and discovers a baby bugger queen who talks to him through his brain, um, and is like, "Yo, you're gonna take me with you, and you're gonna one of these days put me on another planet and bring us back because you know what you did." And he's like, "I do know what I did." You know what you did. <laughs> you know it's you know it's And you so did. what he did was <laughs> Ender is, is hailed at the end of Ender's game, at the end of this this big battle simulation as a as a hero. And he is he has freed Earth from the threat of the buggers. But he comes to realize that the buggers did not necessarily mean harm to humanity. They just did you know, it's Killing a couple of hum humans to this big, like hive mind Borgish race doesn't really 
matter that much to them. Like the they metaphor, don't see, I, yeah. yeah, the metaphor from Ender's Game is it's like uh, clipping off fingernails. Like the way that the individual bugs relate to the queen is the way that your fingers relate, like your your hair relates to your brain. So the idea that the bugs were killing individual humans, they did not know uh, mm-hmm. what they were doing. Um, so it's this idea of like, what are the unknowable? What are the unknowables between species that might meet? And, and what are the barriers to actual communication? Yeah. And um, and so Ender, because of... It's this weird thing, and I think a lot of sci-fi has dabbled in this, but when you're traveling at like near light speed yeah. to get to other planets, time gets all floppy. Relativistic time, yeah. Relativistic time. And so the people in the ship will age a week while people who are not traveling at near light speed will age years. Mm-hmm. And so Ender lives to not only realize himself that he has destroyed this race that didn't mean humanity any harm, and maybe we could have gotten along if we communicated, but he also writes this volume about the bugger race. Yes. In part with the with the help of this like this baby queen he's found (laughs) on this planet yep and his sister i believe yeah yeah and and so he writes this this book called the hive mind that tells everyone about the buggers and changes public opinion about ender so much that he like what he is what he has done is considered to be like this this very grave like very awful crime yeah and it's in it's the hive queen i think because it's it's the hive yes, queen, yeah, 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 yeah. the hive queen and the hegemon the hegemon being his angry brother peter who ended up taking over earth while he was flying through space and he is like put up these two like leaders of these species against each other and like spoken for them in all of their goodness and their badness and yeah yeah and so he he has spoken the truth about yes. these these people and this these two volumes that he writes the hive the hive uh the hive queen being the one and then the hegemon being the other um together like it it's i feel like it's not quite presented as a religion in the books but it does kick off an organization that intersects with religion yes where a lot of like people become speakers for the dead and you can call on them and they're protected by law they can come in they can do all the research they need to do all the interviews they need to do and then at the end they speak of this person's life as it really was and it's not intended to like burn them to the ground it's not intended to sugarcoat their lives as as you might in like a typical eulogy but it's supposed to capture the whole of this person in a way that makes them innately more easy to empathize with so like the buggers obviously hard to empathize with because they're big bugs that try to kill everybody (laughs) peter the hegemon like world leader considered too evil for the battle school program. <laughs> like maybe not the easiest dude to have a beer with. Yeah. <laughs> if you will. Well, and so th- he's written these books, but then he also has like spent 3000 years like traveling through space so that by the time that anyone is reaching out to him in this book, right? Like they don't know that he's the same He's just like a dude named Andrew or whatever, the, right? His name is still Andrew Wigan. 
Yeah. And but it's been three thousand <laughs> years, and there was a real famous Andrew Wiggin. You might, but he is well. They do. Well, call no, he's him not the known as Andrew Wiggin. He's he's known as Ender Wiggin the Xenocide. Sure. And so <laughs> and. <laughs> he's protected like digitally like it, it's very hard to look up who he is and what his history is and where he came from same but he's also <laughs> like he and his sister valentine have been have been traveling together for these thousands of years and they're both in their like mid 30s like they're sure. very young but it's been three thousand years but even so you would think that i don't know go being andrew wiggin is about as good a disguise as like Clark Kent putting on his glasses. Yes, I think. that's like, true. It's, it, I feel like it's not. It's, that doesn't require a huge leap of. But he does have like in infinite money, right? So if someone starts figuring out who he is, he can just buy a ship and fly away for a thousand years. <laughs> that's actually pitched as kind of inv- an investment plan: as you invest money and then you take a light speed trip and then come back. And then, oh, well, you don't even come back, go. but just yeah, like space because money. it's good anywhere because uh, communication between all these planets, like the hundred worlds or whatever yes. the, the Federation of Planets is is called, um, is instantaneous because they can right? all do. Hmm? It's instantaneous communication. Is that what yeah, you're it's it's instantaneous light speed communication through this thing called the Ansible, and so because you can communicate and thus like transfer data and money and stuff. Like you can just go to some other planet and be a rich boy. A hundred years later, <laughs> cool. hundred years later, because your investments oh did good. Oh my god! I mm-hmm. oof. can't even the think about galactic stock market. Yeah. Okay. So what is this book? We I think we've like set up who Ender is from the previous book and kind of where he's standing. You said we don't meet him for like fifty or sixty pages, though. Yeah, right? we don't meet him for for a while. So I, I th- all that stuff about. Him being considered the genocide, this shift in public opinion, it being 3,000 years past Ender's Game, the basic stuff about the technology. Um, so, like, so much data is stored and so much communication happens that you, I think you would expect over the course of 3,000 years for things to have been forgotten and, and left behind in the dust. Okay. Um, especially like language and all kinds of stuff. Like if, if you think back to the Roman Empire to today, that's 2,000 years. Sure. And you just think about the difference between us and them and then everything that came in between. But there's a pretty remarkable amount of continuity between the present and ender's time to the point where like where very when very smart people choose to actually look into it it's pretty easy to like figure out (laughs) what has happened i wonder if so like i have one of the things that's interesting about sci-fi that comes out of the 80s is the ways in which it is aware of what's going to happen with technology and the ways in which it is just completely ignorant and i think what's interesting about something like this comparing to what is going on in technology and like the real world is that he doesn't card had no idea what like social media was going to be like ender didn't have a facebook page that you could find three thousand years later but he doesn't have like ai is a different thing like ai figures heavily into this book as like a character i think but it's not the ai that we know now and i wonder if in his I, in his mind, the Ansible just like kind of creates a a perpetual present because there's it, no- it kind of does, yeah. I, that that for me would would 
be a reasonable explanation for why we wouldn't lose information the way that we have like even lost information from like the last late 19th century. Right. But like if, if, if you're trying to write this book, like the, the bad way to do the tech in this book <laughs> would be if you're, if you're writing it in like the early two thousands and oh God. he light sped. And so when he got to the other end of the thing, his terminal would be super outdated because it had like a Pentium three and everyone else is using like a Pentium 87. <laughs> <laughs> but the actual the actual hardware and maybe because it is more difficult to trans transmit like physical things than it is information and data the technology doesn't change that much yeah, so like ender, does, ender doesn't get to another planet and find that his computer is way out of date and he needs to update his graphics card so he can keep doing like hollow projections yes true <laughs> no, no that makes sense that makes sense yeah anyway um, so okay so where where does this book take place if it's not on a ship with Ender for the entire book? Uh, so we we are on this human colony on the planet uh, Lusitania. And it is, in addition to a human colony being there, it is also the only other like sentient alien species that humanity has discovered since the buggers. Okay, okay. Um, they are much more primitive in technology. So they are not capable of interplanetary travel or communication or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the power balance is very different between humanity and the buggers, but this, this understanding of the battle with the buggers and it being considered a genocide, like a, the, the destruction of an entire species made through like, haste and like not understanding what what humanity was doing they they encountered this other alien species they call them colloquially they call them the piggies because they resemble like earth pigs they're like porky pigs Um, running around kind of okay um but humanity now is so determined not to repeat its mistakes that they take a and actually, if you understand the the Star Trek Prime Directive thing, where you're not supposed to intervene in the development of another species, that gives you basically what you need to know about humanity's interaction with these with these piggies. So there are a couple of scientists who are assigned to communicate with them and try to learn about them, but they are not they are not allowed to give them technology. They're not even allowed technically to like ask questions of the piggies that would imply that technology exists like they they, they can't ask questions that would that would tell the piggies enough about human life that they could figure out like oh they can communicate between planets or they you know they have they have space travel they they have this and this and 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 if any of our listeners are imagining that that can't possibly hold up it doesn't <laughs> the biggies are too curious as i recall but yeah it's that's a curious a, it's an, little guys it's an yeah. anthropological conundrum of like yes. how do you observe literal like people essentially mm-hmm. and i think that this book lays out some rules for like what you what you how you consider like people relative to yourself mm-hmm. um but like how do you talk to them and communicate with them without influencing them i'm thinking about when we talked about dawn a couple weeks ago just like talking to people different than you and inherently creates a sense of exchange because you were like oh what's that for you here's what it is for me 
Um, and I don't know that that's avoidable at all. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think at the outset of this book, they are trying to make it so. <laughs> they are trying to make it so for sure. But th- there are there is a lot of other stuff going on that we can we can talk about. Um, so the um, the scientist who's been it's a xenologer is the field of, of great word <laughs> of science that these people are operating in. Um, it's this guy named Pipo and his son Lebo. And if these names sound funny, it's because they're like nicknames, basically for okay. Portuguese names. I'm gonna completely butcher most of the pronunciation and I bl- of things, and I'm gonna go out of my way to avoid. Anything that you're going to gonna get bad, all, yeah. yeah. Am I correct that it's like a Braz- it's a people of Brazilian descent? Like it's like it's not a Portuguese colony, which is interesting because Portuguese colony, Portugal the language Brazil. Yeah, right? but the 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 language is is, is Portuguese, Portuguese to yeah. to the extent that Card includes a short pronunciation guide in the beginning of the book. Now he. He does this by telling you like how different vowels sound, like in a way that I found totally unhelpful. I think it's more helpful to have here is a glossary of all the words. Go look and them how up. You'd yeah. Pronounce them. Yeah. So I I kind of wish I had had a thing to flip back to so I could. And I've read some some critiques of his Portuguese over the years that if this book were written even ten or fifteen years later, an editor might have taken another pass at some of that stuff um, out of you know sensitivity to properly representing the language um but that's not impacting your experience doesn't sound like yeah no it's just i yeah so if maybe maybe card's pronunciation is worse than mine i don't know <laughs> um but Pipo and his son lebo are xenologers on lusitania and they are sort of the emissaries between humanity and the piggies they go and they talk with the piggies and everything they can learn or everything they can presuppose even though their hand, like both of their hands and probably one of their feet are tied behind their backs mm-hmm. in terms of what they can share and what they can, what they can even ask these, this, this species about, like it, it's very limited, but they are, they are doing it. Like they're the only people who are allowed. And so all of science, everything anyone knows about the piggies is coming from these two people and they are constrained by law in ways that makes it very hard to learn anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but they are, you know, they they are friendly with the with the piggies, also called the pecaninos, which is I think just means little ones. Yeah, in Portuguese. yeah. I'm pronouncing that in a sort of Spanish way, which I hope is not too far off the <laughs> off base. Um, and then another thing that has happened on this planet is there is uh, there is this disease called the descalada mm. which infects humanity like the the human colony that comes down to this planet it's um it's this thing that basically like genetically reorders you cool and most so like like the the uh like the biosphere on lusitania is very um like there there is not a lot of biodiversity it's yes. very, uh, it's very like monotone. Like there's one of each type of thing. Yeah, there, there's like a bug and <laughs> a grass and these piggies, but there, there is just there is not the normal diversity of life you would expect on a planet, and it is in part because the only stuff that is left are the species that could adapt to this descalada thing, and okay. so within a few years of landing on this planet, humanity contracts it. 
and a lot of people start dying. And um, there's this uh, there's a woman named Novina. Mm-hmm. How would you pronounce that? Would I you think it's Novina. That like that? Yeah, Novina. Uh, Novina. <clears throat> her parents discovered not a cure for the Descalata, but a thing that would suspend it in humanity. So a thing that would prevent people from like dying succumbing from it. to this kind yeah. of disease. Yeah, like if, if it's too far along, it's not gonna you're not gonna save yourself. And that that was in fact the the issue with them is they discovered a cure in time to help a lot of people, but not in time to help themselves, so they die. But because they did this, they are venerated within the community. Os Venerados is the is the honorific bestowed oh, on both of that. them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um but Novena is left behind with with no parents, is very distant from everybody, is very cut off from everybody. But she develops a relationship with with Pipo and Lebo, and they kind of become a little found family for a few years. Um because they are like Pipo is the only person so the 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 power structure is there's there's a lot of Catholicism yeah, involved. Yeah. Um, th- like there there are bishops and and church figures who have a lot of the power on this planet. And so Pipo asks one of the bishops like how how Novena is doing one time, and he is one of the only people who's like asked about her to learn about her instead of just like asking about her in relation to her famous parents who kept everybody from dying. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So partly because of this and, and because Pipo and Lebo are very empathetic themselves and, and very capable of, of understanding other people and very open-minded about stuff. Um, they form a bond with Novena who is not, who does not form bonds easily because of the way the whole community just treated her parents and treated her. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I, I, I've got to imagine it would be, it would be very hard to be the parents of, to be the child of like saints yeah. in this community, you know, like well, it, it and, would create and, a, create a barrier between you and other people. And like new saints in a religious community that already has a bunch. And then like to be in this new world where everything is like different and then have people do a thing that is, you know, considered saintly and then like die and then you're their mm-hmm. kid. Like, yeah, that would not be easy. <laughs> That's yeah. not. No, it's like hard enough to be like a politician's kid or like a kid of a famous person. Yeah. Let alone someone who cured a big disease. Like, look at the like the stuff about Malia Obama that was going around oh a couple of weeks ago, God, where it's just geez. like, can she just can she just like underage drink some wine? Like, literally everybody did. Damn. And uh, just um, leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> leave Britney alone, and also Malia <laughs> Obama, and also Novena. Leave Novena alone. Leave Novena alone, you guys. <laughs> um. So this found family is going great. Everything's fine. The, yeah, things are going fine for a little while, and then so the the main piggy who talks to people in Lebo, his name is Ruder, and one day they find him. He appears to have been brutally murdered and like disemboweled. Basically, Ooh. his his organs and his skin and stuff have been like spread out on the ground and it looks like they've planted this tree in the middle of his chest and they assume because there is 
you know, because there's not a lot they can ask the piggies about. They they assume that this is some kind of like religious sacrifice type thing or maybe like a punishment. Okay, yeah. Kind of deal. Yeah. Um so they don't really understand, but there is one night when Novena is working on the com- computer and Pipo comes in and they are talking about I think it's about the Descalada, like trying to understand like these these basic things about the way that life is ordered on this planet. And Peepo sees something and he's like, Oh, I've got to go talk to the piggies about this because I think I've I think we've just figured out something that's gonna be a real like breakthrough in communication. Mm-hmm. And he does not come back and they go out, uh Peepo and Novena go out and they discover Peepo's body and he has been similarly disemboweled like ritual murdered yeah in in the way that Ruder was and the piggies didn't even see fit to like planted plant one of those trees in him like he's just been that's not cool it seems like he has been murdered yeah um but again because humanity is so eager to avoid a second genocide like they the 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 Starways Congress, like the body of <laughs> government that rules all of the all of humanity's the colonies and offshoots and stuff. They are so eager to avoid another genocide that they are, you know, they're made nervous by this, but they don't change the rules. Like people are still allowed to change the piggies. If anything, things are things are more restricted. Than yeah, before. yeah, that makes um, sense. But Lebo and Novena, to a to a lesser extent, are allowed to continue speaking with the piggies and and trying to learn about them. But Novena is like, she's pretty torn up by the death of this father figure of hers. And so she puts out a a request for a speaker for the dead to come to the planet and to talk about Peepo and to talk about his life. So uh, Ender, who is around 35 years old, he's living on this sort of this. (laughs) I feel like every planet in this thing, it's like a Star Trek planet where the entire planet is just this one weird monoculture and all the yes. climate and everything is the same. Correct. Well, so okay, so what is the the so the theme of of the Lusitania is is like piggies and Brazil, and piggies the, and Brazil and like not a lot of biodiversity. The the theme of the planet that Ender and his sister Valentine are on is like, what if a whole planet was Iceland? Of fjords, the fjord <laughs> yeah. planet. Yeah, there's a there's a planet in Xenocide, I think that is just rice paddies. I think. Like a lot of there are a lot of folks of Chinese heritage, and you know how in a Mario game when you jump through a painting, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is the lava planet, this yeah. is the Iceland planet. Like, this is how- I mean, it makes sense that we would settle on planets that like fit parts of the world that we can live in, but it seems sure. weird that we would only find planets that are just one thing at a time, like weird little theme park planets. <laughs> So um, he's hanging out on this planet with his so sister. So he's hanging out on this planet. Valentine has, like, he and his sister are very, very close, have traveled together for what is many thousands of years in, like, Earth time. Um, but she has met somebody. She's gotten married. She is pregnant with her first child. And she's ready to settle down and to, you know, to put out some roots. But Ender is not quite. And so he is... 
they have they have been traveling like Ender's been speaking and Valentine as uh, Demosthenes, who is we talked about this in the Ender's Game episode. This this is like an alter ego pen name for Valentine, who writes. I think it, it it started out being political, but now it's more like anthropological anthropological i think like telling people about what life is like on different planets and and with different cultures like related to what ender is doing but focused on i think the lived experience of people and not the life of yes that's a good passed away that's a good way to think about it the because looking back at the we said that his older brother peter was too evil to do the work in battle school and went on to rule earth valentine was too good too kind to do the work that Ender needed to do mm-hmm. and is now like the person traveling with him, like writing about people's stories. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Ender gets this call from, from Novena. Like she is, she has put out a call to summon a speaker and he decides it's, it's time for me to go. And also there is this thing about this, this young woman who that that I find personally like interesting because of her background, you know, being being sort of cut off from society in, in a way that he also kind of was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also he's, you know, he's he's feeling the pull of this this is the only planet where any species other than humanity lives. And he is in a way like still trying to do penance for this thing that he did to the buggers is he still carrying around the queen too right yes yeah and he's talking to her <laughs> cool ender has a couple cool pals that he talks to one is the the like a, a alien bug egg basically <laughs> that he keeps in a duffel bag under his bed who talks to him and then another is this ai like a, a sort of not designed to be an ai but like a spontaneous artificial intelligence named jane that not only can feed him information, but also can bust through the security of pretty much anything because she is, she's not quite a computer virus. I don't think because her intent is not malign, but she basically has access to everything and can be a bit of a deus ex machina in in some ways. Like she can sweep in and be like, Hey dude, I'd like turn the gate off or I'd, yeah, but the as <laughs> I, like, I re- got you access to that exact thing that you needed access to to forward the plot. I don't know how it works. I don't remember how it works in Speaker, but over the course of the rest of the books, they explore how a Deus Ex Machina might work like that if it also had like emotions and wants and needs, and like her wants and needs become obstacles to just like solving the plot. Right, and and Jane Jane is to be considered as a fourth species. Okay. Of- of like sentient, of sentient life so you got you got humans you got buggers you got piggies and then you've got whatever jane is and so i don't think i'm actually going to talk about jane very much more there are later books um, devoted to that for sure yeah and it's just i don't think it's the most interesting of what of what this book is doing there is definitely good stuff but i just you know yep, in the space totally, of an hour totally. podcast that's already going to run over i think we're gonna <laughs> I think we're gonna skip jane mostly um, so he's leaving behind Valentine is where we're Ender's at, leaving behind Valentine. He goes to uh, to Lusitania. So because of the way space travel works, a couple of days after Novita puts out that call, she cancels it because she changes her mind because she can't she can't figure out what Peepo found out that made the piggies kill him. But she knows that it's in her files 
And if Lebo or if anybody else looks at it and they figure it out, she figures they are probably going to die too. Okay. Okay. Um, and so she secures these files to the greatest extent that she can. And the only way that people can access them is like if she dies or if someone marries her. And from the perspective of the state, they basically become one entity. So like if I got married, it's like like if if Laura had access to all my iTunes songs. And then all of a sudden Laura could log into your Windows XP account and get to all your Winamp playlists. Well, I mean, I did give her all of those. That was a condition. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. part of our negotiation. <laughs> she wanted all my Winamp skins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's Winamp up to? <laughs> no, playing that llama song, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> but the she, 90s you know, were she... so dumb. I'm sorry. No, anyway. they, were, they were dumb, but they were also fun. Like, yeah, remember they when were. the internet was fun? I do remember when the internet was you fun. You download like, Win, Winamp and RPG Maker for your Windows 98 computer. You just make some stuff happen. Just set Hamster Dance as the homepage on a school computer. Mm. You know the, yeah. you know how it is. You know. You know how it be. All right, so um, he's going to the planet. The speaker call was canceled. Speaker call was canceled, but because he's like three days into his trip, he's like halfway through his 25-year voyage or oh, whatever gosh. it is. But shortly as it happens... Okay, so law protects speakers. So once you put out a call for a speaker, you can't like take it back. Uh-oh. Like He can come and speak if he wants to anyway. So that's happening. But also, shortly before he gets to the planet, Novena's now grown-up children have also put out a call for a speaker. One... For Novena's husband, their father, Marcos, mm-hmm. and one for Lebo, Uh-oh. who has been killed in the same way as Peepo has by the piggies. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ender accepts these as well. And this will be how he, like, even even though he has the authority to speak for, for Peepo still, like, this, this, this will be his excuse for being there, basically. So I'm I'm a speaker for all these folks, so I'm just here. Yeah, because um, based on what he found interesting about Novena, he might be willing to respect her wishes about Peepo. But now with other people, he's got to go for it. Possibly, though. I mean, he also has his own redemption wrapped up in that's in true. That's at true. This point. So uh, we're ugh, I don't want to run too long. So Ender Ender gets to the planet. The Catholic powered structure because they view speakers for the dead as a sort of competitor or I don't even know if it's an atheist thing but because speakers for the dead have a way that they approach death and like the 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 speaking of and and the like the rights involved around death I think a lot of religions regard it as a sort of threat or as an alternate religion so the bishop who is sort of in charge of the planet tells everybody this this guy is actually Satan oh and you should not help him in his in his stuff because he's going to come and he's going to tear our little community apart. OK, um, so Ender arrives. Uh, Novena didn't actually want him to come. Uh-oh. The, the powers that be are uh, like they're all totally against him. He gets there in this context where he kind of has to make a couple of threats like, oh, well, the law is on my side and you don't want an inquisitor here. So you better just tell me what I need to know. 
that's that is the the backdrop to his arrival. So what happens just really briefly is he gets there, he connects with all of Novena and Marcos children who have various problems cuz Marcos was a bad dude. He he beat Novena. He was he never laid a hand on the kids, but he was very like nasty to abusive, them. Yeah. yeah. Um and the whole community is 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 mourning uh, Lebo a little bit because you know he was a he was a beloved figure. He was the the guy who communicated communicated with the piggies. Like in in a way, he is the reason why they are all there in the first place. Okay. Um, but Ender gets there and he quickly, because of his empathy superpower, <laughs> makes connections with all of these kids. Who all have various different problems. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a lot of cool characters short shrift here, I think. But I um, do recall the family being uh pretty interesting. And as I recall, either in the forward or an afterward, Card talks about like he wasn't, you know, when he's considering writing about that family, he's writing about like not only how one kid feels about Novena, but how that one kid feels about how their sibling feels about Novena, how they're how they feel about their sibling feels about their sibling and like the web of people's needs and their their like battle lines feels pretty well drawn. Yeah, Card does a really really good job developing a family that feels like a family. Like here is here is a collection of people who do not always actually feel that affectionate about each other, mm. but they are together because they are a family and their relationships all affect each other's relationships. And some of them are more wary than others. Some of them are very open to Ender's thing because they've been craving this father figure in their lives this whole time. But it's, yeah, it's very, it's very well done. And it feels maybe aside from some of the like higher concept sci-fi stuff, it feels like some of the best like character work. Yeah. That, that card does because he is, you know, he's not only introducing you to these new characters, but he's also introducing you to, or like deepening your relationship with, 35 year old Andrew Wiggins speaker for the dead slash genocide. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, um, how does he deal with the piggies? I want to get, I feel like we're giving the piggy short shrift and we can't leave this podcast given the piggy short shrift. So he, <laughs> he goes through a lot of stuff. The piggies want to talk to him because Ruder is telling them that he needs to come and talk to them. Ruder, who, as you may recall, was murdered and a tree was planted. Oh in God, the middle that's of his right. Corpse, right. So they're um, so they're saying that they're talking to Ruder, which is confusing to people. Yeah, so so um, another just one more background thing that's important to know: Miro, who is Novena's oldest son, and his love interest Wanda, who is Lebo's oldest daughter, I think. Yes. Um, they have been communicating with the piggies and they have been sharing more than they're supposed to share. Mm. Um, and they figure, you know, because, because our reports are the only thing that the Congress knows about, like the, we're not going to get caught until the stuff that we are sharing with these piggies actually like becomes evident on like a satellite image. Like once you'd see farms and, and like big flocks of, of like this, the sheep analog on this planet. Once those <laughs> sure. start showing up in satellite images, people are going to realize what's up. But we've got probably a few decades before that happens, where we can we can try and circumvent Congress's like their binds on our ability to communicate with the piggies. Okay. 
So uh, Miro and Wanda um, bring Ender out because the piggies, so they've, the documents they've given to the piggies include the Bible because Catholic Catholicism. Sure. And the Hive Queen and the Hegemon, okay. which is this establishing document for the like the speaker for the dead movement. <laughs> it is um, a movement, isn't it? Yes. And they have they they note that within before too long, the piggies are using the pages of the Bible as like kindling, essentially. Oh gosh! But the Hive Queen and the Hegemon, they very carefully protect, and they seem to refer to it a lot. And so they, um. This piggy, and this this is one of the ways where where it is obvious that cultural cultural contamination has happened because the piggies have names like human and arrow and calendar and like all kinds of stuff. I love the piggies so much. <laughs> all kinds of names that they would not have if they had not learned a bunch of stuff about humanity. Um, so human, who is kind of the current. He's he's the one who's the most friendly with the the humans. Sure, sure. Human the piggy. <laughs> <laughs> he says, you know, Ruder is saying that this, we need to see the speaker for the dead. This speaker for the dead is the one who wrote the Hive Queen and the Hegemon. Oh God! <laughs> and something about the Hive Queen. What? Way to put Ender on blast, human. He was here in secret. But what I mean, what we find is that that. The human characters, so Miro and Wanda and whoever else, like they, they have these preconceived notions about what the piggies are and what they know that are so entrenched that, or they they just have beliefs about the way things are. Like a three thousand year old person could not still be alive, even though it's factually possible for that to yeah. happen. They assume that it's so unlikely. That of course this is not. There must have been some famous space criminal who did this already, that would make all of this seem way more plausible. Yeah. Like the Al Capone of space would have figured out how to run away from tax from taxes for like two thousand years. Taxes, yeah, <laughs> like you said, from taxes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange that like the language and communication and all this stuff is is assumed to be pretty static. Pretty static and and like there is a lot of continuity, but also there are these weird blind spots where you just assume like why would somebody choose to hop from planet to planet until they were three thousand yeah, years the story old? Story doesn't know, work otherwise, it. I suppose. But that's essentially it. Yeah. Um. So they insist on talking to Ender. Uh, Miro and Wanda bring Ender out, and he starts talking with the piggies, and they like he is not approaching them. As like a as a xenologist, as an anthropologist, he is approaching them as somebody who is trying to understand them and bridge the communication gap and learn from them instead of learning about them. Like that's a really critical yeah. distinction that the okay. book that the book tries to make. Um and what becomes clear is that there has been there's been some misunderstanding between the human between the humans and the piggies like what the there's this whole thing with piggy culture where everybody who the humans have met is kind of a juvenile male but there are also females who are off somewhere else who are more important to like the power structure and so the the humans over time kind of piece that together but they're never actually allowed to speak to the females Ender just blows through that in like <laughs> a couple of days. Um, 
and he, you know, he goes, he, the Starways Congress has discovered that things are happening with the piggies and they have dispatched a fleet to evacuate the planet of Lusitania. But Ender, because he's a Superboy, says, okay, they are, they are going to have like 20 years until these ships get here. And in that time, they are going to, you know, through through the data that they they swiped from the planet because they have absolute power and they can just do that. They're going to learn about this thing called the Descalada. They're going to learn that it can get off planet. That would be bad. Yeah. Completely destroy any planet that it touches. So by the time the fleet gets here, their orders will not be to evacuate the colony. Their orders will be to destroy the colony. Mm. And so keep, you know, keep the piggies there where they can keep an eye on them, but also just destroy the humans on this planet. And so Ender and all the the community heads of this planet decide they are going to rebel because it's the it's the right thing to do. Like they they can do it. It's the best way to preserve the relationship between the humans and the piggies and stop another genocide from happening. Okay. Um, so Ender goes out and they discover it. They've got it all wrong. The, there's a lot of just stuff. I don't even know if I could accurately (laughs) communicate about the way the piggy life cycle happens, but there are basically three phases of life. One sort of infancy where you don't really remember anything. A middle phase, which is the phase that most of the piggies who the the humans communicate with are in. Mm-hmm. Um, where they are like individual beings who you can like talk to. And then there's a third phase where they become these trees. Yes. Who can, they can communicate with other piggies. And then also when the piggies need things, they like, they sing to the tree and they like push it over and they tell the tree what they need. And the tree gives them stuff like fully formed. Yes. So, the stuff to build houses, uh, like bows and arrows. Once the piggies find out what that is, it's it's a way of you you like hold the, it in your brain, and then the tree can make it or something. Essentially, sort, sort yeah, like yeah. It's it's a um, it is part of the life cycle. Not in that like that piggy is reincarnated ever, but that piggy gives its new like tree body up to current piggies. To give those piggies the stuff they need to like continue surviving. God, I love the piggies so much. <laughs> you, you I like can't handle so how much I love the piggies and the third life, which is what it's called. And mm-hmm. so you're building to the revelation that about the ritual murder, right? Yeah. So the revelation about the ritual murder is that it is it is not the piggies don't consider it murder at all. It is it mm. is an honor because it's it, you don't kill a piggy and then plant a tree you kill a piggy and it becomes that tree. Yep. And so when you, when you get to a, a certain point, like when you help, when people and Lebo helped the piggy societies in a certain way that would like, that would help them grow and help them, um, push back against other piggy tribes that would be, you know, be, uh, interfering in their business. Um, the piggies say, you know, you, you have reached this level where you can move on to the third life. Either I can, it's, it's a thing where they they get paired off with a, with a piggy, right? Like either, either yeah. I can, 
I can kill you and you become a tree or you kill me and I become a tree. And it's an honor thing. Yeah. It's an honor thing. So, so two things. One, piggies don't consider this murder, but the humans did consider this murder. So it came down to a thing where Peepo could either kill a being that he considered a friend and he would understand that as murder. Yes. Or the piggy can cut the human up and murder him by human standards, but by piggy standards, he would be moving on to to the next life. And so this this misunderstanding has happened twice, basically. And when Ender makes that link, like Ender and human, the piggy working together to to try and understand what they have not understood about each other's cultures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Ender, Ender is like, oh, well, I'm glad that we had this talk because now I know that you didn't mean to murder these people, but <laughs> they were like, they were in a lot of pain and their family and like everybody thinks that you murdered them because that's what murder is to us. And it makes the piggies really upset actually, because they didn't know. Yeah. I, what the piggy version of murder is like chopping down a tree before it can give all it's meant to give or something. Yeah. Like, like that. It, it, at the beginning of every, um, chapter there's a little um it's usually like some kind of transcript or a communication between between card loves that stuff yeah yeah like it, it's it's a um it's a quick way to give you information from outside of the main narrative without interrupting the main narrative and there is a conversation between i i think miro and and one of the piggies where he is asking about how humans treat their dead and and miro's telling them you know we we bury them and then that's it and the piggy is like, well, then you you're not getting anything. Like, what do you? <laughs> what like, their, their death doesn't mean anything. Like, what are you talking about? That's that's interesting because I was thinking about that when you were talking about the the tension between the church and Ender, and the ten, the tension between what the church thinks of as death and what that means for the afterlife versus Ender coming in and being like, this person's dead. That's the end of their story, and I'm here mm-hmm. to tell all of it. Um, so that like inherently, that's a thing throughout human history, right? It's like, we think death is this thing. It's this other thing that is like a huge part of how cultures define themselves. And it's neat that he found yet another non-human way to express and explore that in the piggies. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So what ends up happening is that. Ender, as as the representative of the of the humans on Lusitania, comes to like he and the piggies come to an agreement where, you know, humans will have human territory, piggies will have piggy territory. Um, Ender will, as soon as they figure out how to protect the buggers from this Descalada thing, will release the hive queen, and. You know, the the buggers will decide on conflicts between the piggies and the humans. Humans will decide on conflicts between the buggers and the piggies and, you know, so on. Just creating this this triangle of different species on this planet who have all decided to come and understand each other and, and live in peace as an example of how it could be done everywhere. Yeah, sure. Just to give to give everyone an example of, of how things should be. Um, and as part of this, this covenant, 
human, you know, pig, piggies will never kill another human again because that's what they understand that means now. And also humans will not be asked to help like piggies move on to this third stage of life. But as part of making the covenant, like Ender has to kill the piggy human so that his tree is, is planted. And Ender is like, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this because it needs to be done. But boy, I wish I could just stop killing things. Yeah. He's so good at killing other sentient species. (laughs) God. Um, so that's really the, the main stuff about the book. Like there are some other things, um, so Ender does speak about uh, Marcos. Yeah, can and... you just like what is your reaction to that whole thread? And like I so I'm I'm of two minds about it. So you had shared a piece where let me just I'll talk about what Ender says. So Ender talks about why Marcos was so angry and why he beat his wife and what ends up like the the outline of the story is Marcos had this this illness that one by one like converted all of his organs into this fatty tissue um in a way that made him sterile really early on. Yeah. Um so Novena could not marry Lebo because she did not want Lebo to have access to these files because she didn't want Lebo to find out what Pipo found out and then die. Yep. So she comes to this understanding with Marcos because because she was kind to him once where other children were not. And so he sort of venerated her, put her up on a pedestal. But he, you know, she she married him with the understanding that her children in public would be his, but actually they would be Lebo's children. Yeah, yeah. Um and that that leads to a whole other thing where um, where Miro um, and Wanda Novina's oldest yeah, yeah Novina's oldest son and then Wanda who was Lebo's oldest like publicly acknowledged daughter like they were going to be romantically involved and then they get to find out that they're brother and sister like that's a whole thing. Miro's got an arc that I can't get into that feels like the next book probably. Yes, would, he's would, a big part of the next more. book. Yep. Um, but yeah. They, it, so on the one hand, like, no, there is no excuse that makes like beating up on your wife. Okay. Like, I don't care how injured you are on the inside. Like that sucks. Yeah. And that, you know, you, you, that just, it, it can't, you can't excuse that. I don't, I think when, once you start coming up with good reasons why someone should be able to beat their wife in, and especially if it makes it clear that it's the wife's fault that she's getting beat. Yeah. Which is the thing that happens. Yeah. Um, like that's no good. On the other hand, I do try to understand where people are coming from when they when they do the stuff that they do, you know, to to a certain extent. Like not not extending out necessarily to, you know, violence or, or murder or whatever, but I I do want to know why people are the way they are. And I think that everybody should be just like open to considering like the context of somebody's life when judging them. And that's the thing that speaking is all about is it carries it to that, to the fullest conclusion of that. Yeah. Uh, under the, under the supposition that 
when when these secrets and like when this when this understanding becomes public, then people can internalize it and understand it and like start to to heal. It it is better for all the stuff about Novena and Lebo and Marcos and their kids and and everything. It's better for it to be public because this family is super screwed up right now. And even though it's going to shame them some in the eyes of the community, like it's the only way they can heal and the only way they can relate to each other and understand each other is for them all to understand the reasons why all of the people in their lives have acted the way that they've acted. And so that does speak to me. I just wish that it didn't have to be be wrapped up in this thing that made domestic violence okay does that make sense no well and it's like it's coming out of a you know movement slash religion that was founded by a a a genocide genocide like maybe what if the neck what if our hero was actually the worst villain ever impulse and so I, you alluded to a piece I shared with you. This is Noah Berlotsky writing for Salon in 2013. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with everything he says in this piece called Orson Scott Cards. I don't Scott think Cards, I do either, yeah. Sexist, victim-blaming, Ender's Game sequel. I think the things that he is critiquing in that piece are the tensions inherent in the book of like, what is it to... It does get a little bit of the like, Ender comes in and... and gets to solve another big mystery um, and gets to be at the center of the story. But it is also about like this, the inherent tensions of this book are like, how do you understand someone different than you? And part of that difference might be like they committed an atrocity and you have not done that and can't imagine how you would. Um, I just, I I thought that his reading of Ender's game was obtuse. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, he, 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 the salon writer, viewed Ender's Game as being a, and and some things in Speaker as being endorsement of genocide. And I think you got to stretch pretty far. Sure, sure. To, I think to see it as an endorsement of genocide is actually to totally miss the point, like to to take the opposite thing away from the book that that it's trying to get you to take away. So, so yeah, but yeah, the, the, the domestic violence stuff in, in particular, I read that piece and I was like, yeah, that's hmm, that's not great, huh? And Nov- I think Novena gets some short shrift in this book because it is so like the piggy stuff is so much more so much more interesting um, from a well, like, and she has to be divine defined so much from beginning to end by the man who she's yeah, with. So, yeah. you know, she can't be with Lebo. She is with Marcos. And then by the end of the book, she and Ender have gotten married. And I wish that we got more of of her like not in relation to to what the men in her life were doing to her or for her yeah um she's kind of just reacting to that for most of the book sure and and yeah i think i think she would be i think like valentine is better sketched in i think um if you want to go over to the bean books like petra is better sketched in mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than than this and i wish that novena had gotten kind of a similar similar level of of um autonomy and, and and like her own motivations for things um and i guess the last question i have for you andrew as we wrap up is like one of the big our biggest frustrations with card right is that like he's someone who has written so eloquently and effectively about 
understanding difference or at least the obstacles to understanding people who are different than you and yet now later in his life he has you know really really embraced uh harping on difference and and kind of erecting barriers between people what do you think of the like hierarchy of otherness that is talked about in this book um and like this idea that there are like levels of difference between species between peoples you know what i'm talking about elaborate for me a little bit so i'm not sure i'm there there's a thing i think i think it's written about early in the book it's called like the demosthenes hierarchy of foreignness or something Mm -hmm. where it's oh yes right right right. so it's like there and it's a bunch of like swedish words from the fjord planet um that he has (laughs) co-opted and it's like oh it's you know the first level is like people the same species as you but they are from another city uh the next i think might be like people who or it's like maybe a different species but you can see that they're human and then the next one is like you know they're a species but you don't know how you're going to talk to them and then after that it's like the unknowable other or just like dumb animals or or dumb evil animals yeah and most of most of the book spends like most of the book is spent in that next to last category um ramen sure is is what it's called where it is a like an ostensibly sentient life form who you should be able to come to an understanding with and like figuring out what the distinction is between that and the like the dumb animal category or like the the blind killer category is where most of the tension in the book comes from um I mean, whether that maps to like anything in the real world, I'm not really sure. I think Carr does a good job of setting it up in the book and then making it matter in the fiction of the book. Like, yeah. Do, do you have particular thoughts about it, or like just that it's well, it's I think what you just said is is very true because because it's coming from source texts that all of the characters can reference. Like it's terminology that they get to use at each other and with each other so it does matter the other thing i'm thinking about and i don't know if you've in your reading ahead of what the other books are about know that one of the last like unknowables that these books explores uh is the descalada virus yeah i did i did see that and like it is so the two like next others that the series attempts to engage with are Jane, the AI that we talked about before, and, like, this literal virus that, like, is it sentient? It has technically desires. It's trying to do things. Can we understand it? And just, there is a portion of a later book that is devoted to attempting to communicate with a germ, effectively, uh taking because card does this thing where he takes like this idea and then carries it to its logical conclusion Mm -hmm. um so for me that like that hierarchy is like what the whole series is in dialogue with whether or not i think you're right whether or not it accurately maps to to human behavior um is a separate question but it does get weird in the books after speaker i mean i i I think that those four categories like there there is 
in the way that different cultures interact with each other, that, that there is a there is a willingness to see like humanity in, in other people. And I think too often in the real world that gets tied to like skin color or religion or even like the, the area of the world that you live in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I really have a point except that <laughs> I, I think that we in the, the real world feel like here on earth, we have among humanity like those four different categories. Yeah. Where really, I mean, we should just have like two, like one or two at most. There should be <laughs> like people who, you, people who you already know and like people who are human who you don't know yet. And those are the categories. And then like, like they, dolphins. Like that's the next one. And then, yeah. And then dolphins. Yeah. Particularly, specifically dolphins. But yeah, we, we too often treat people as treat people like animals. I mean, I know that's been, that's been a rhetorical thing that's sure. been um, talked about when, um, when Trump and other politicians talk about immigrants, like calling yep. them dogs, calling them animals. Th- I, I think that is, that's an attempt to paint other human beings into this, this, this box of like otherness that, that Ender and company are grappling with with respect to like buggers and piggies and stuff yeah 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 um god the hive queen yeah it just does it just doesn't seem like we should be that far apart no it's like this this series like a lot of sci-fi where they introduce an alien is like hey all of humanity should probably like collapse into one category because we have something else to worry about um, yeah i card is often not that he he's interested in the internal conflicts within humanity when we're confronted with this, um, with this otherness, um, and then he he will push it as far as it can go, and then yeah, and then he's like you know sending people outside the universe to concoct whole people out of their brains because he gets a little weird. <laughs> it gets wild in the later books. That's what I got though. I I enjoyed this book a lot and was a little bit frustrated by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, just, man. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a real curiosity that he spiraled into what he spiraled into. Yeah, I don't have. I don't. I know. just I I I kind of want to know in his own mind how he justifies splitting people up the way he has split them up. Like like where in his mind this extreme empathy thing ends and why you know yeah i don't know from what i've read it's like he he likes to read the law for what the law is he um some of it's rooted in his religious beliefs but even that feels that feels like like a cop-out in some of his interviews so it feels like more elastic than even he wants it to be well and that and that's just assuming that because something is law it is then correct or or it's it's then right it's like the the right thing to be is it's it doesn't seem like it and maybe maybe we're misrepresenting his viewpoints i don't know whatever but i think you've got to you've got to have room to to believe that laws can be unjust yeah i I I, there's a lot of subversion of law in these books too Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean like the whole end of the book is like oh we're gonna break the law and rebel (laughs) because 
There are more important things than laws. Space Congress. We have space to break Congress. the Space Congress laws. Man, Space Nancy Pelosi's at it again. <laughs> Andrew, I'd let you be my speaker for the dead. I'd let you speak for me. That's all I have to say. Oh, thanks. I would try really hard to do a good job and feel really bad about it. <laughs> I think that's also, I would give you. I'd sort of be punking you because I know that you would take it very seriously and it would it would really wreck you. So great, good, thanks. Yeah, Ugh. thanks for reading this book, bud. You're welcome. It's good, what? even though reading a physical book is just <laughs> it's monstrous. The worst. <laughs> Why in the future do they have physical books? What a mess. Why do they have physical books? To- I'm just joking. All you physical book people, don't tweet at us. Or do send us emails at overduepod at gmail.com or uh, hit us up at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Thanks to Peter, Allison, Jake, Ellis, K, Ace, Gabrielle, Hannah, Katie, Fran, Tessa, and many more for reaching out in response to last week's How to Win Friends and Influence People episode. Andrew, folks, sounds like we won and influenced many Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is an internet website where we have links to our iTunes page, Google Play, RSS. You can subscribe to the podcast in any of those feeds. And uh, if you do so in iTunes, please rate and review us because it helps us rise in them charts. And we feel good when we get good ones. Um, We also have uh, links to the books that we have read and are going to read um, our March schedule will go up soon. The end of February has just really snuck up on on me in particular. <laughs> um, we have and then patreon.com slash yeah. pods another thing. Yeah, we have um, in about a week or so, we'll have our February bonus episode on Akata Witch by Nadia Korafor coming up for like general folks. Patreons will get that early. Um, and then next week, I'm talking about Nosferatu. Nos Nosferatu. Well, but it's like the letters spelled out. Nos for a two. It's a it's by Joe Hill. Um, okay, <laughs> you, Joe. He's he's is that? I think that's Stephen King's son. I don't know. I'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> you can't expect us to do the research a week ahead of time. Jeez, we're not wizards. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to our episode. And until we hit you next time, please try to be happy. That was a headgum podcast.